Brothers and sisters, friends, I see some enemies. What's up, guys? It's Kevin, and this is Connecting the Dots. Thanks for tuning in, man. It's good to be back. Uh, thank you for being here with me. Hope you all have been hanging in there, because I know it ain't getting easier out here. Uh, just a heads up for this episode, I'm not going to be covering any specific books today. I kind of just wanted to share some of my thoughts and hopefully uh, build a conversation. Uh, another heads up is that this episode is going to be a bit lengthy. There's a lot to say and a lot to cover, so prepare yourself. Uh, just get comfortable, man. Grab a beer, kick your feet up, light them if you got them. Do whatever you got to do to put yourself in your best space. If you need to take a break and come back later, then come back later. But you're here for a reason, so clear your mind and try and listen, because as always, my intent with this podcast is to promote some critical thinking and some perspective shifts. All right. By any chance, does anyone know what today is? It's May 1st. It's May Day also known as International Workers' Day. Not Labor Day, as Americans know it. I said International Workers' Day, a day that I rarely see any Americans acknowledge or celebrate. I think that's unfortunate, honestly, but not accidental. So, that's exactly why we're here, and that's exactly what we're going to be talking about. The workers, the people, a.k.a. you. In fact, let me say right now and right out the gate that this episode is meant for the ears of all the working people in this country and working people all over the world. This is International Workers' Day. There's a reason why I want to make a point to talk about this today, not just because today happens to be May 1st, but because of all the things that I'm seeing everywhere I turn. Things that have been building up for a long time coming now, and all this recent history is making the current moment ripe for strife. Ripe for confrontation. A small opening has presented itself at the feet of the working people in this country. And we have the option to either pick it up and do something with it or to let it be. So I think that we all need to look at the, the current events of this country right now because an opportunity is presenting itself to labor. Labor meaning all the working men and working women and young adults and old adults in this country. All of them. Now, I don't know if I've said this before on here, uh, but personally, I believe that the two most unifying causes to get behind in this country are the movement and the necessity for universal single-payer health care, which we, we, we've already talked about that one, and the other cause being labor, a labor movement, because all of us work, and there's no room for disunity, there's no room for exclusion, and no room for pettiness in movements such as this, because they're so encompassing. A labor movement should be inclusive of everyone. A healthcare movement should be inclusive of everyone, anyone. Whether you're black, white, brown, man, woman, handicapped, non-binary, middle class, working class, young, old, immigrant, democrat, republican, it doesn't matter. We work. And it is the labor of the working men and the women in this country that allows it to function on a day-to-day -day basis. And all of us contribute to that. By the end of this episode, I hope that that's something that we can all remember and agree on. But if this is the case, if what I'm saying is true, why then do the working men and women of, the, of this country reap the least amount of benefits from their labor? Why do workers reap the least amount of profits after contributing hours and hours and years and years of their precious energy and time and labor? 
Why has CEO pay increased 90% in 2020 during a raging pandemic while the federal minimum wage hasn't budged an inch in years? If company and corporate profits are skyrocketing, which they are, then why hasn't that fact been reflected in our paychecks and our standard of living? Why has inflation skyrocketed, thereby diminishing the value of your labor, while simultaneously making it harder to live and harder to keep our heads above water? If prices go up and you're still getting paid the same shit, then yes, that makes the value of your labor even less than it was. Why are mass portions of the population drowning while small groups of wealthy individuals get to sit on mountains of silver and gold? Why do we perpetuate a country where so few people possess millions and millions of people possess nothing? There is some insidious shit going on right now. and shit needs to get checked. But despite all this exploitation, I also see people waking up, man. Workers are fed up. And currently, there's not, not much that gives me a lot more hope than this fact. A couple months ago, people were being called essential workers. And now these same workers aren't being allowed to unionize by their employers. Now they can't afford gas and food and basic necessities because the, quote, essentiality of their job is not reflected in their paychecks. You can't call people essential and then treat them as disposable and expect them not to notice. Illusions and flattery don't last forever. And I genuinely pray that this breakdown of illusions leads to some radical, fundamental, and humane transformations on behalf of the working class and the middle class. And the poor. But recently, as in the last few months, workers from all different arenas of the workforce are making efforts to unionize or to strike. And this is momentous. These are workers from companies like Starbucks, Amazon, Kellogg's, John Deere, Hollywood, teachers unions. The list goes on. Look it up. Read the headlines. It's happening. It, it doesn't always get the same media coverage, but yes, it is happening. And I know it's kind of hard to see between all the TV shows and the memes and the gossip and the Oscars bullshit, but it is happening. And to me, and I hope to you, we should find this meaningful. Hopeful, even. This is genuinely more inspiring to me than anything I've seen for a long time. Which is why I'm here to talk about it in the first place. Some workers, meaning human beings, are currently in the process of transforming and organizing themselves. They have asserted themselves and they're demanding a little respect. Fuck yeah. But the truth is, history shows this, it's, it, this kind of assertion, assertion, whatever you want to call it, comes at a cost. Workers who do this, they make themselves enemies of very powerful people and powerful forces. For example, the CEO of Starbucks, he just, uh, what's his name, Howard Schultz. This guy recently said that corporations across the country are, quote, under assault. I don't, I don't know about you, but that sounds like a fucking battle cry to me. Apparently, corporations come under assault when their workers try to embedder themselves. Fuck the corporations. They assault and exploit workers every day. And then when the people try and get a little something back, it's assault all of a sudden. These workers and anyone, anyone else who's going to follow their example, and it's an empowering one. These are the people that need all our support. They need all our solidarity and our protection even. Because I don't know if you know this, but strikers and the unionizing working men and women of this country historically do not hold a record of being respected. Workers are not respected by the state. They are not respected by capitalists, by the police, by corporations, by policymakers, and even politicians and judges. This isn't surprising though, right? At this point, America has a tendency to only emphasize what is convenient for the political and societal power structure. Events like May Day, 
the Haymarket Affair, the Sacco and Vanzetti trial, and even the lack of acknowledgement for May 1st as International Workers' Day exemplify this fact. We have an illusion to maintain, and apparently it cannot be maintained with inconvenient truths. But this is what we're here to talk about today, y'all. So let's continue to do what we do on this podcast and look at shit for what it is, man. So buckle up. Okay. Well, before we look at what is, we need to take a quick look at what was. And just for the sake of putting everyone on the same page and acknowledging some of these inconvenient truths that I just mentioned. As I said, the history of capitalism in this country is it's not a pretty one. In fact, it's abominable, which is probably why we didn't learn too much about it, uh, about the labor movement growing up. That's also why kids in school right now aren't being taught to look at the system or our social order in any critical p- capacity. In fact, it could be argued that the education system, public education, is simply breeding the compliancy of future employees and future workers, creating the perfect docile human capital for the workforce. But that's a separate topic for another day. Let me just say that education alone does not necessarily cultivate consciousness. Anyways, essentially, May 1st was a national strike in this country that was meant to establish an eight-hour workday. Because back in the late 1800s, the working people in this country were in a constant struggle to make this the reality. The, The working conditions of men and women of that time were abhorrent. Uh, Men and women and children were working 10 to 16 hours a day in extremely unsafe and unsanitary conditions. Injury, mutilation, amputation, and even death were common within the workplace. And all of this for literally a few dollars a day. Maybe even a few dollars a week, honestly. But it wasn't until the late 1800s that organized labor, meaning the working men and women who organized themselves, were able to piece together enough strength and numbers to declare an eight-hour workday. And the the key word here is declare, because this was obviously a declaration made without the consent of their employers or public officials. They didn't ask the courts or nobody. It was a demand that was made on behalf of the working people, by the working people. They didn't ask for this shit. Who would they ask? The capitalists? The employers? The the bosses? The courts? The police? Not one of these entities was doing shit to protect these working people. Nobody cared. Because if they were going to do anything on their behalf, they would have already done it. Plain and simple. We can relate to this. But people were suffering. And their material and psychological lives weren't getting any better. No one was going to help them. So these workers could already see through their own experience that capitalism at that time was only beneficial to their bosses, to their employers, to the capitalists. Their lives and their health were being sacrificed day after day, year after year for profit. And that profit wouldn't even reach their pockets at the end of the day. Thousands of men, women, and children were dying ruthlessly every year in the workplace. And depending on which industry you worked in, the life expectancy was as low as the early 20s. Can you believe that shit? Shit was bad. Worse than most Americans, especially the wealthy Americans, can probably imagine. So the only option for hope that these people had was to come forth. Their only option was to arise. Liberation is claimed. It is not given. And these people claimed it. But back to the story. In Chicago, 1884, the Federation of Organized Trades and Labor Unions declared that, quote, eight hours shall constitute a legal day labor from and after May 1st, 1886. 
eight hours of work, eight hours of recreation, and eight hours of rest. That's what these people asserted and intended. They wanted this to be their reality. They made it so. Their, taxes, their tactics to achieve this reality would be through demonstrations and strikes and organized action. Read up on this. But, as I'm sure you can imagine, this kind of talk was pissing some people off. You can't make claims like this and not be prepared for some form of backlash or retaliation from the ruling class. So after hearing all this, the city of Chicago, the police, and the public officials of the time, they were all prepared for violence and bloodshed and calamity. Because the working people were ready to walk off their fucking jobs and take to the streets. So on May 1st, 1886, more than 300,000 workers and 13,000 businesses across the whole United States walked off their jobs in the first May Day celebration ever. In Chicago alone, which was like the epicenter for the eight-hour day, 40,000 workers went out on strike. There were parades, there were bands, uh, tens of thousands of demonstrators were in the street, all of them jubilant, all of them proud and hoping to showcase the strength and the unity of the working people. All these people came together and they took to the streets and yet they never became violent. Not like how the newspapers and the authorities were saying they were. In fact, the newspapers, who were owned by the capitalists, obviously, were not very nice or fair to these workers at all. They called them insurrectionists, communists, rebels, socialists, and whatever else that they could deem as un-American. They did and said anything that they could to villainize them. To be fair, though, they, I mean, they weren't entirely wrong because it actually was the communists and the socialists, as well as the non-communists, that fought and died for our eight-hour workday and more. This privilege comes from the labor movement. But as the days went on, more and more workers continued to walk off their jobs in Chicago until the numbers increased to nearly 100,000. 100,000 people all up on the fucking street, and yet the peace was maintained. It wasn't until May 3rd, 1886, two days later, that violence finally broke out between the piggy police and some strikers at a steel factory. Apparently, for months beforehand, the police were harassing and beating the shit out of some of the, the steel workers. But once the May Day strikers joined with the steel workers in solidarity, then the beatings escalated. Escalated into rock throwing. And that escalated into gunfire. And that escalated into two workers being shot and killed. But as a response to the killings and police brutality, a public meeting was called by some of the labor uh, leaders for the following day in a place called Haymarket Square in Chicago. But due to some bad rain and, and the super short notice, only about 3,000 of the tens of thousands of people from the day before showed up. So the people that actually did show up, they came with their families and their children, and even the mayor of Chicago was there. With these facts alone, it seems as if violence was never really intended. Later on, though, the mayor would uh, even testify that the crowd remained calm and orderly and that their speaker, August Spies, made, quote, no suggestion for immediate use of force or violence toward any person. These words coming from the mayor of Chicago himself at the time. But as the speaker's speech when was ending, though, uh, these two detectives, they rushed over to the main body of police and they said that the speaker was using, quote, inflammatory language. And it ended up being this false claim that allowed the police to march in. But as the police began to disperse the already thinning crowd, a bomb was thrown at the police. To this day, nobody knows who threw it. But speculations go from blaming any one of the anarchists to blaming a hidden agent working for the police, which is one of their tactics. Of course, as a, re as a result of the bomb, the police fired into the crowd, uh, killing some demonstrators and killing some of their own policemen as well. But aside from the bomb thrower, who was never identified or caught, 
it was actually the police, not the demonstrators, who initiated the violence. And this event would go on to be called the Haymarket Affair. Honestly, uh, just as a disclaimer, obviously this is a very quick summary of the history of May Day. There's a lot more to it. There's a lot more details, more backstory, more famous and historical names that should be shared. I'm just not trying to spend too long here uh, on the recap, and I, I want to get to the current day and age. Uh, but this episode is not intended to be a historical analysis. I just kind of wanted to connect it to the present day. But I do highly suggest that you look into the history of it yourself uh, and from multiple sources as well. Don't just rely on what I'm reviewing here. Um, you know, try and look into it. Be curious, man. It'll, it'll add to your knowledge and your knowledge can lead to mental freedom and, and mental emancipation. But I'll share some of the books and, and articles. There's a bunch of articles and links uh, that I got. So I'll put that uh, down at the end of the episode so you guys can check out the history for yourself and have a place to start if you are curious. Because I do think that the history is important here. If we can't understand and appreciate our roots and the events of the past, how are we going to blossom? How are we going to flourish? We can learn from other people's mistakes and their accomplishments. Because at one point in history, people were shot and killed by police officers and corporate cops and National Guardsmen so that we could have an eight-hour workday. Families had their, their homes burned down so that we could have Saturdays off. Kids had to take to the streets and march to protest against terrible working conditions and child labor. Men and women and their families went on strike to try and assert themselves, but at the same time, because they were striking... They also had to starve themselves because there's no income and no food as a result. These were the sacrifices made by people so that we could enjoy the rights and the dignities that we possess today as workers and sometimes take for granted. It's worth noting that victory always comes with a sacrifice. We can't get change without it. We can't get change only at our convenience. I'm not saying all this just so we can kick back and put our feet up like the 4th of July or Memorial Day because if you can't see, there's still a lot left to fight for. Celebrate, celebrate May Day. I want you to appreciate yourself as a worker. Take pride in that shit. But as working people, and especially us young people, we need to recognize that the same kind of struggle continues to this day, just in a different way. For example, over the last few months, I have continuously seen this, uh, the same headline all over the damn place, all over the media. I think that's how propaganda works, to be honest. Uh, but the capitalists who owns the media, and they, they also own influence as a result, they got their tentacles reaching far and wide. And they're capable of influencing the masses and molding the blind. They always have been. The press, the media, the newspapers, they have a long history of villainizing the labor movement and labor advocates through and through. Historically, they have called union members and working people, they've called them terrorists, communists, insurrectionists, escalators of violence, now, they call contemporary labor, labor advocates uh, selfish, lazy, socialists, and any other kind of epithet that is necessary to ostracize people. But these kind of inaccurate labels, these, these words distort people's perceptions, and this creates friction amongst the working class where there need not be any. Because the vision amongst the working class only works to the benefit of the ruling class. We need to acknowledge this. Anyways... The same headline uh, that I keep seeing the media pump out is that there is an intense, quote, labor shortage in America. Look it up. Look at Business Insider, look at CBS News, Forbes, CNN, the New York Times, the list goes on. It's in the news, it's on social media, it's in the mouths of commentators all over the damn place. And to be quite honest, though, and at the risk of sounding very arrogant for disagreeing with all these big and respected and well-funded media outlets, 
I don't think there's a labor shortage. In fact, I know there isn't. Yes, there are hundreds of thousands of vacancies because of the mass deaths that were claimed by COVID, but there are millions of people ready and willing to work. Young and old. People want to work. They need fucking money to survive. It's just expensive out here, man. We are at the mercy of corporate price gouging every fucking day. So yeah, people want and need to work. Students put themselves in debt just so they can find a good job and eventually work. Men and women travel and emigrate from all over the country to come here and work. People need to work so bad that they need fucking two to three jobs just to survive and pay the bills. The thing is, and the mo most media outlets won't address this, but the reality is that people simply don't want to work for crumbs anymore. That's the difference, plain and simple. Personally, I think COVID has played a, a huge part in this realization. I know I've mentioned this before, but I really have not seen anything manhandle capitalism the way this pandemic did, especially when it first started. The world was frozen with fear and questions and speculation, and most working men and women were told to stay home or to work from home. So the whole world stopped, and it finally allowed, it allowed millions of people an opportunity to reflect. Shit, at least I hope it did. I hope you've been reflecting and realizing, but I genuinely pray that people took the time or found an opportunity to reflect on the state of things over the last two years. We've talked about this before, but our reflections should lead to new actions, whatever that means to you. Even if it's just small adjustments, they all eventually add up. And I know that our reflection can lead us to something new if we have the courage to apply ourselves, myself included. But back to it. Something important to note with this so-called uh, labor shortage is that the industries with the highest quit rates are coming from the lowest quality of jobs. This means that the majority of people quitting are coming primarily from two industries that are notorious for poor pay and poor working conditions. One being the accommodation industry, meaning like um, hospitality or, or customer accommodations, and the other industry being food services. Overall, this includes people employed in places like Bars, restaurants, retail, think of cashiers, think of waiters, customer service representatives, and positions like that. These are the workers who are now consistently turning their backs on their employers and looking for new jobs and better paying jobs. Right now, American workers are making it very clear, especially through their striking and their selective job applications, that although they want jobs that provide them a livable wage, money is not the only factor in their job hunt anymore. People want better pay, yes. But they also want some good shit, like some benefits and, and paid family leave and medical leave. They want health insurance. They want a workplace safe from harassment or illness and physical injuries. They want flexible scheduling. They want a better work-life balance for themselves and their families. And people want a chance to move up, man. They want upward mobility, opportunities. People are no longer willing to sacrifice their physical and mental well-being for jobs that don't pay them a living wage, that don't offer benefits, and that don't appreciate them. People are leaving, not because there's a labor shortage and workers are just vanishing off the face of the earth. They are leaving because they, they know that they're worth more than what is currently being offered to them. People are tired of not being paid enough to save for the future, tired of living paycheck to paycheck and not being able to meet their most basic needs. And honestly, these workers deserve every fucking thing that they are asking for. Let me say it with, with a little bit more certainty. There is no labor shortage. It's not that people don't want to work. They just, want to, they just want more from their work. And the laboring people that make millionaires into millionaires are entitled to that claim. 
They are entitled to a piece of the pie, period. And for all the employers and, and the corporations and the politicians and the dumbass celebrities like Kim Kardashian and all the other fucking talking heads out there that are complaining about a labor shortage, there's honestly a very simple solution to the problem. It's just so radical and unorthodox that it sounds crazy to most people. But if you want to bring the workers back, then you need to incentivize the workers to bring them back. Plain and simple. Make a better offer. I know that sounds outrageous to hear after decades of exploitation and stagnancy on behalf of the working people in this country. But right now, it is the workers who currently hold a little bit of leverage. And let me be clear, they don't hold all the leverage, just a little bit. But it's a start. It's an opportunity, especially if more organizing takes place. But as of now, workers are not obligated to accept the same inadequate jobs that they had before the pandemic. The negative economic, social, and political circumstances of this country puts people in a position where they need to settle for less, making people overwhelmed and desperate. Not all the time, but often enough. And it would be naive to think that there aren't men and women out there who won't take advantage of a desperate person's circumstances. Luckily for the moment, we live in a time where it is currently the employers who need to compete for their workers, not the other way around. So offer better pay, better benefits, and working conditions to bring back your workers. We've talked about this before. Workers aren't just machines. We aren't just laborers. We buy shit too. Billionaires can only buy so much stuff and we carry the rest of the economy. But we can't buy shit or keep the economy going when we have to live paycheck to paycheck or go into debt or spend 10 bucks for a gallon of fucking gas. It is only when employers create better jobs with higher wages and better benefits that workers will be equipped to stimulate the economy efficiently. If low and middle class households had a little bit of extra money to spend or to save instead of living paycheck to paycheck, it's most likely going to incite more economic activity. No economy can rely solely on the spending of the rich while completely neglecting the working class and their needs. There is a consequence when the rich and the powerful and the capitalists take too much and leave too little for the rest of us. Extreme imbalance is not graceful and it creates a crisis that we now have to meet. Because it is the paycheck of the working class that keeps this economy alive. It's not Wall Street, it's not billionaires, it's not corporations, it's not even the ruling class. It is the wallet of the working man and the working woman. Our labor is the breadth of this country. And if material improvements are not met, then we should snatch that shit right back. To quote Lincoln, All that harms labor is treason to America. Now, I don't know about the rest of y'all, but from what I can see, it is currently the people in power within this country that have made themselves adversaries of the masses. As workers, our enemies are not overseas. Our enemies are not other working people in different countries. Our enemies are within our own savage health industry who will wipe out your bank account because of a medical emergency. Our enemies are with the insurance companies who don't give two shits about your well-being and will drop you the moment you become an inconvenience to them. Our enemies are with corporations who don't pay taxes, who control the means of production, and who deny you a living wage and respectable wage. Our enemies are with policymakers and sold-out politicians who have turned their backs on the working people and instead serve their own interests and their own corporate masters. Our enemies are already well-established within the gates. They are not outside them, as the media and propagandists would have you believe. They misdirect us consistently. You think I'm afraid of immigrants? And refugees come in here? You think I'm afraid of socialists and communists that are practically non-existent in this country? You think I'm afraid of the trans community? 
I'm not afraid of what China and Russia are going to do to us. I'm afraid of what we are going to do to ourselves if we don't get it together. So get the fuck out of here with that shit. We are so blind we don't even know who our enemies are. This makes us not only cowards, but foolish as well. You get fucked every day and you call it freedom to make yourself feel better. The point is, what harms the working class harms America. So then, what's harming the working class? We've spent hours and hours talking about what harms American workers on this podcast. There is a plethora of answers. And honestly, most people don't need me or anyone else to explain what hurts them and their livelihoods. They live it every day. But to answer the question, what harms the working class? And to sum it up simply, capital. Capitalists. In almost every way and in every arena and at almost every level, capital has beaten the shit out of labor. Literally. Back in the day, a trade union member in the United States was hunted down like a dog. And, oh, by the way, a trade union is just, just an organized association of workers within a trade, a labor union. But my point is that throughout, throughout history, American workers have been shot, been killed, and beaten while fighting for higher wages. Lives have been taken for simply fighting for a wage that people could live on. At certain junctions within American history, our own federal troops, our own soldiers have fired and killed upon American workers and strikers. Our troops killing our people. It should tell you many things. In fact, the very first national strike in this country, which was on July 16th, 1877, this strike ended up with American troops firing and killing American workers. The National Guard used to get called in so often that striker, against strikers that they were uh, accused of working for the corporations. In reality, though, it wasn't the National Guard. It was actually the policemen and the patrolmen that used to draw pay directly from corporations. And in return, the cops would bust up union meetings and break up strikes. Of course, the police also got their regular paycheck from the city as well, provided by taxpayer money, money that came from the same working people that they busted up. Savagery. But I guess not so much has changed since the 1870s. Recently, Amazon union organizers in New York were arrested for delivering food to their workers. The claim was that, quote, they were trespassing. But when the police first rode up, they were actually seen shaking the hands of the Amazon supervisors as they arrived. In fact, in fact, the police said that they were speaking on behalf of Amazon when they asked Chris Smalls, the union organizer, to leave the premises. The police do not act as a neutral force. They never have. They do as they're told. Back in the day, there was a man named Jay Gould, who was a corporate titan, corporate king. He was a living symbol of a corporate monopoly. But at one point, he said, quote, I can hire one half of the working class to kill the other half. How charming. But uh, he does make my point and exemplify who the enemies of the working class are. A little more recently, Coca-Cola, a very large and very old corporation, was actually proven to have funded right-wing paramilitaries to kill trade union leaders in Colombia. Uh, this was in 2001. But this means that they killed Colombian labor organizers with a funded miniature military group. Even more recently, November 29, 2021, the National Labor Relations Board ruled that Amazon has committed some serious violations of federal labor laws during a union campaign at a warehouse in Alabama. In addition to this, Starbucks has also been engaged in what has been described as, quote, aggressive anti-union tactics. You know what, let me, let me just quickly lift, list off what these companies are doing so shit doesn't sound so vague. Let's be specific. 
The unfair and illegal Amazon tactics include disallowing the right to assemble in break rooms, limited bathroom breaks, there have been complaints of surveillance, interrogation, unlawful discharges, threats, etc. The unfair and illegal Starbucks tactics include a smearing campaign targeting the unions, mandatory anti-union meetings, threats to close stores for unionization, firing managers for questioning tactics, etc. Oh, workers also say that the company spies on union gatherings, uh, that they question employees about union affiliation, and that workers are threatened with termination if they side with the union. This is what these people are up against. But shout out to, to Starbucks and Amazon workers all over the country because these guys are currently battling for unionization and organization, and they're fucking winning. What they are doing is beyond impressive. My point with all these examples, though, is that the attack on labor didn't die in the 1800s or the 1900s or after workers won the right for an eight-hour workday because we still live in a world where the rights and the needs of workers are constantly neglected from massive companies. Companies like Amazon, Coca-Cola, Starbucks, Kellogg's. I mean, we give our money to these guys, man. Billionaires and millionaires do not sustain Amazon or Starbucks. We do. Consumers and workers, the masses, the public, the people. At a certain point, we need to cultivate a little bit of consciousness, a little bit of awareness, and ask ourselves if we even find it acceptable to continue giving our money to these companies. Which side are you going to be on? We also need to start asking ourselves if we want to keep providing our labor to these companies as well. One thing that I almost never hear people say when they have a problem with something is that they are willing to withhold their labor or their money. As Americans, we are the world's largest, biggest, fattest consumers on the planet. It's true. It's what we do. I spent the entire last episode emphasizing and degrading our habitual overconsumption. But despite this fact, we have an opportunity at all times to use this negative trait to our advantage. We can turn our biggest flaw into our sharpest weapon. Corporations, and especially monopolistic corporations, count on us to consume and overconsume. So, I say cut off your money and your consumptions from companies and people that don't deserve it. In fact, that might be the fastest way to get some fucking results around here. Since money is pretty much the only language that the rich and the powerful speak, then by withholding your labor and withholding your money, it's like cutting off their circulation. You choke them. For example, me being me, I have a problem with Starbucks for forcing their employees to attend anti-union meetings. I have a problem with uh, Amazon for breaking federal law. This upsets me, so they won't get my business. But for me, as an individual, the owners and the executives and the CEOs, they don't give two fucks if I go there or not. I'm one person. They don't need me. But if we, that's an emphasis on the we, could somehow make an organized a collective decision to withhold our money from these companies or any company until they give some respect to their workers and allow them their given right to the freedom of assembly and bargaining tactics, then we might get their attention. It doesn't work if it's just me. It doesn't work if it's just you. The truth is, nobody cares if you as an individual don't give your business to certain companies. I remember working at Jamba Juice and, and, and when the customers would get all pissy, they'd tell me, I'm never shopping here again. And I was like, okay, goodbye, bitch. Do you, think if, do you think I care if you're here or not? Take your 10 bucks and get the fuck out of here. Make my day. It doesn't matter. The point I'm making, though, is that if it's us, if it's millions and millions of people withholding millions and millions of dollars, then change may come. 
Not because of the benevolence of the ruling class, but because we force them to change. Not because we're asking, but because we are declaring. There are leverage points within the system, and if we want change, we need to find them and squeeze them. Workers at every level and on any day hold in their hands the opportunity to make the blood stop flowing, to cut off the air. And if we can make, I think we can make that happen. You go on strike, work, workers withhold their labor until their demands and their accommodations are met or compromised. By going on strike, the workers pull out their sharpest weapon. When workers start to think and talk and strategize and organize, the ruling class is overwhelmed with fear. Amazon exemplifies this. I heard that they spent like five billion, uh, five million, five billion shit. Five million sounds about right. Five million on uh, union busting last year. Five million dollars on union busting. Why? Because a strike means something, man. Even in defeat, it sends a fucking message. It's when a man or a woman finds the courage to resist what is wrong and what is unjust and they make an attempt to assert themselves and their own needs. The needs of labor. The needs of the people. Not the needs and the demands of capital and business. Unity and solidarity and sacrifice are at the heart and the core of any labor movement. Remember this. And at the same time, when workers do go on strike, they need support. People need to support them. Don't cross the picket line. Never try and take advantage of open job positions because people are striking. Keep your money out of the pockets of their employers. Go drive off another mile to get what you need at another store. If the people are bleeding and sacrificing, let that fucking company bleed too. People over profits forever. But I'm saying all this to show that it simply cannot be done on an individual level. To get the attention of the ruling class, the people need to step up and make some noise. By withholding your money from companies who don't pay taxes, pay taxes, withholding from companies who exploit their employees, who exploit black and brown people overseas, who don't allow unionizing, or who lobby for laws and policies that hurt the masses, I believe that you can get their attention much faster by depriving them of your money rather than starting a petition. I think we can create change much more expeditiously by withholding our labor and our money than if we were to take to the streets and protest with our signs and our cameras. In fact, let me, let me stay here for a second really quick just to make a point. Let's look at this. 2020, for example, was historic for all these demonstrations and marches and riots even. Shit was popping off. It had tons of media coverage, social media coverage. It was in everyone's conversations. It was in the newspapers, all over the damn place. You couldn't go anywhere without seeing some kind of protest. But then what happened? Nothing. Nothing happened. I see no fundamental, pivotal, or radical change despite all that. All that media coverage... All that political and intellectual chatter simply to give the impression that something was being done. Demonstrations send a powerful message, don't get it twisted, but in this day and age, I don't think it's effective enough. Especially if, the, if it's a tactic that's applied singularly. We go to a protest, we go to a march, we show up, we take pictures, take a video, we make a sign, and then we call it a day. We go to vote every two to four years, we get our sticker, we take a picture, and then we call it a day. We're playing the same game and expecting different results. Democracy does not stand on its own. It needs to be held up every day. 2020 should exemplify how ineffective this is. Because the rich got richer by the end of it all. And they still are, by the way. The police and the military continue to add to their massive budgets at the expense of everything else. In fact, 
I think Biden asked Congress recently for an additional $25 billion for the military. This act alone should show us where his allegiances and his loyalty lie. The poor, the working class, and even the middle class continue to try and keep their heads above water. The healthcare industry and insurance companies continue to exploit the people that they supposedly serve, even after a pandemic has shown how weak and overwhelmed the system is. Two years later, and not one of these arenas has gotten any better. I see no improvements. I see no change on the horizon, despite our marches, despite our hashtags, despite the petitions, our votes, and our new president even. Speaking of which, Democrats took control of the Senate, the Congress, and the presidency. And to this day, they have still done nothing with it. These guys are going to get slammed in the midterms. Watch. We're going to end up swapping out one poison for another once again. One of our parties is weak, and the other one is simply regressive. They let us down day after day, year after year. So why do we keep picking from the fucking thorn bush? Especially when we can create something new. Traditionalism can enslave people. Labor advocates argue that the working people should not only unite, not only organize, but they insist that labor should also create its own independent political party. I don't disagree, to be honest. Companies are not loyal to political parties. They're only loyal to the politics of business and what serves their interests in that moment. We should follow their tactic and do everything in the name of our own interests as well. Our allegiance is to ourselves because the two existing political parties of this country have failed miserably. I'm telling you now, the solutions to our issues will not come from within our two-party system. Neither of them works on your behalf, and yet millions of people remain loyal, and they can't see that they're being played. My point is, though, that the people need to step into consciousness so that we, may have, that we can create a new path for ourselves. Because right now, the two choices on the menu, the two American political parties, are poison. We deserve better than either option. Let me be clear, though. When I talk about consciousness, I don't, I don't mean get smarter. Consciousness does not mean to know more things or to get more degrees or go to school again. I'm, I'm talking about waking up, about being aware and perceptive. Education and consciousness are not synonymous. I'm talking political consciousness. To be conscious does not mean to be educated. They are not the same. I know plenty of extremely educated and well-schooled people who lack consciousness, who lack awareness, who lack empathy. These are people with degrees and awards and high IQs who are simply incapable of connecting the dots and cultivating, cultivating an ounce of awareness. To be conscious, to be aware, is to see the system for what it is. For example, to see that higher education is a filter that keeps the rich rich and makes the poor pass through hoops and hurdles just to get to the door of opportunity. Higher education is the maintenance of the status quo when it is not accessible to everyone. Public education maintains the status quo, which such extreme inequalities in funding and quality. Another example is to see that the healthcare industry is a business. Another, to see that our military is in fact an empire. Another, to see that our police force are not glorified, self-sacrificing heroes who prevent chaos and crime, but instead musclemen to be used against the masses when they start getting a little restless, as they did in 2020 and the 1800s when people were trying to unionize. The list goes on. There are legions of educated pe people who, who just don't see this. You don't need a degree or awards or certificates to see shit for what it is. So cultivate your consciousness and build your awareness. It will become your intellectual and spiritual self-defense. The reason that I'm saying all this, though, is because I believe that effective strikes and effective or organizing, especially, 
and effective pressuring on the leverage points of the system will create the way for change way faster than any march, any protest, any voting booth. Strikes are labor's most powerful weapon, and an, an organized labor, th that's a force to be reckoned with. Now, I don't know if you've noticed this by now, but those in power, they aren't listening. They're not. I've been to the marches. I've made the speeches. I've talked to my representatives. I've signed the, peti the petitions. I voted. I did everything I needed to do, and it didn't really work out. We have to start thinking outside the box. As far as I can see, a unification of labor might be more necessary than we think. If you want the attention of the powerful, start fucking with their profits. Start messing with their God, which is money. Withholding your labor and withholding your money are one way to ensure that. Why on earth are we willing to give, are we, are we willingly giving our money to the companies like Starbucks and Amazon when they are currently oppressing and exploiting their own workers? If they don't care about the people who help them build their mountains of money and maintain it, then why the hell would they give two fucks about you? To them, you're a mouth. A wallet, a consumer. To me, a consumer is also a person. And a person has the ability, both individually and collectively, to retract their money and their support from businesses who are clearly making unrighteous calls. We're quick as hell to cancel someone on social media uh, for shit that we don't agree with, friends and family even. But we can't even stop supporting a clearly exploitative business because we love our Starbucks, because you're a Platinum member, because you got Amazon Prime. Huh? Come on, man. We, we cannot legitimately expect change without changing ourselves first. Fortunately, though, like I said at the very beginning of this episode, I believe and see an opportunity is presenting itself. There is currently a pretty high demand for workers right now. So this gives labor some added leverage and some much-needed power for the moment. Because of this, though, workers might have an opportunity to negotiate for things that can work in their favor, things that could benefit someone's livelihood, things like better pay, better benefits, scheduling, flexibility, better working conditions, etc. But if businesses want to remain rigid and employers want to continue the same hiring practices that they did before the pandemic, then workers should simply start looking for employment elsewhere, assuming that the individual isn't desperate. Right now, a lot of employers are already increasing pay. They're already trying to provide stronger benefits and improve working conditions to be more competitive in the labor market. Good. I say push that shit to the max. Milk them for everything you can. There is so much ground to be made up after decades of stagnation and inflation. People are fighting their asses off for a $15 minimum wage. And even if that became a reality, it still wouldn't be enough for most people to sustain themselves. Not given the cost of living. Not given the, uh, the, the effects of inflation. If you only got paid $15 an hour... Two gallons of gas alone, at least in California, would equate to almost one hour of your work. So yeah, milk them for everything you can, all that we can. The time is now, and it might not come again for a while. We have to seize the energy while we can. Some people already see this, and they're willing to do something about it. And I'm in awe and admiration of this. In fact, we should really look towards the courage of the workers at places like like Starbucks and Amazon, for taking it a step further by, by trying to fortify themselves. They're unionizing. Unions have been a dismissible force for decades at this point. In the 80s, 16% of workers belong to a union. As of now, only 6% of workers in the private sector belong to a union. That is almost an irrelevant number, and it shows very clearly how much capital and business have dominated labor these last few decades. But check this out, though. 
One possible reason for the decline of unions is simply that the country and the economy has changed drastically over the years. We aren't manufacturers anymore. We aren't industrialists. We don't really make shit. Jobs like this, like these, used to be strongholds for unions and, you know, people will live comfortably within them. But as capitalism's insatiability continued to grow, jobs were outsourced because it's cheaper to exploit people overseas with less oversight and regulation than it is here. But the point is that our economy isn't shaped like it used to be, so unions are extremely disempowered now. So now, what is currently one of the country's most prominent industries? That's retail, and that's the service industry. They're, they're up there. And who is it that's currently trying to unionize? The service industry. Unions are not limited to trades and manufacturing jobs and industrialist jobs. You can make a union wherever the fuck you are. There's no limitation to it. That's why I said in the beginning, it's very encompassing. It should include everybody. And unions, they get a lot of heat and hate, honestly, especially from capitalists and Republicans and the papers who are owned by capitalists. And they pump out, they pump out their propaganda and they try and distort perceptions. But fuck all that noise. Unions are one of the best ways to empower workers. With the union, you are no longer at the mercy of your employer as an individual. This helps to balance out a very extreme disadvantage. Look at the fucking police unions. These guys can get away with whatever the hell they want because they can apply so much pressure as a union. They can apply pressure on politicians, policymakers, reformers, the media, and whoever else decides to challenge them. These guys hold power. They have, they have money, they have influence, they have clout, and whatever else they want. But police unions are so effective that they can actually negate attempts at reform or calls for more police accountability and oversight. These guys are, are powerful. These police unions protect and defend their cops effectively and aggressively. That's why an officer will have multiple complaints and violations and still be on the streets. That's why they can act with impunity. Now imagine instead of a union protecting the misconduct of piggy police officers and whatever violations they're making, that instead unions were capable of empowering and protecting American workers and their salaries and their wages and their working conditions, their benefits, their days off, and so many more things that could enhance and unburden the lives of millions of working people. A strong and a well-backed union could possibly put on heavy, pe heavy pressure for the passage of very necessary things like pro-worker laws or laws that benefit the working class. A union also gives a worker, as an individual, a voice, which is something that the working and poor people of this country sorely need. Politically, the poor and the working people of this country have almost no voice, so they have almost no power. So, might as well build it through labor then. Because through a union, a worker can get a voice in almost all aspects of his or her job. Some experts even argue that unions uh, can provide a very valuable social and psychological function, serving as a kind of fraternal social organization, which is something, yeah, that we desperately need. Uh, a little bit more fraternizing and organizing. Uh, and even more importantly, a union provides a sense of pride and dignity to the workers. I'm a union member, and I myself feel that same pride and, and dignity in my position, and just being a union member in general. But taking it back full circle, as I said in the beginning, unions and a labor movement should be all-inclusive. If they're not, then get the fuck out of here. Fuck that union. But for the most part, back in the day, in the 1800s, uh, the members of unions, like the Knights of Labor and the AFL, were composed of everyone. The Irish, Germans, Poles, Russians, Blacks, Whites, women, immigrants, all American workers were invited. 
Well, let me not romanticize it. Some more ignorant people wanted exclusion, whites only, men only. Uh, but those that recognized the potential and the power of a labor movement and what they could actually accomplish if they were together, these guys wanted women. They wanted black people to join. They wanted immigrants. Because as, as I said before, it's our solidarity that builds power. You can't do it individually or selectively or exclusively. And this fact hasn't changed, even 200 years later. Some people could argue that we're actually more divided now than ever, and I ain't going to blame all that on Trump and racism. It's partly on us. We are lacking many things, a main component being class consciousness. But it's ours for the taking. So maybe it's time to start building something new instead. And what better place to start than with the unification of the working people in this country? Let, let, me, let me end it with this quote. Why does capital roll in luxury and wealth while labor is left to eke out a miserable existence in poverty and want? Single-handed, we can accomplish nothing, but united, there is no power of wrong that we cannot openly defy. Woo! All right. I know, I know that was a lot. This might be one of the longest episodes for this podcast, and it's a lot coming at you, so... Congrats if you made it this far, and I do thank you for giving me some of your time and attention. But uh, I truly hope that someone out there was able to pull something from this episode. More than anything, though, starting tomorrow, I hope people can start to cultivate a, a new sense of pride and dignity for themselves as a worker and as a human being. I don't give a fuck if you're a waiter, a teacher, a barista, a warehouse worker, a plumber, a trucker, or if you flip pizzas and make smoothies like I did. All workers are brothers. All workers are sisters. And I stand with you because we share common enemies and experiences and obstacles, whether you realize it or not. You can draw a line and I'll draw a circle, homie, and include you. That's what, that's what it has to be like. That's how power is built. And let me be transparent here. This is my intent with this episode, to create a shift in your perspective. In fact, that's kind of the point of the whole fucking podcast. I don't, I don't get paid for this shit. My intention is simple. Change. But empowerment can come from within you. And consciousness is claimed, so claim it and empower yourself. A simple change in perspective can lead someone to develop entirely new thoughts, and new thoughts will lead to new actions, and new actions will create a new reality. But it starts with us, it always has, individually and collectively, because I can tell you right now, ain't nobody coming to save work in the middle America. The Democrats aren't going to save you. A new president will not save you. Billionaires will not save you. And demagogues like Trump ain't going to save you either. No hero is going to rise from our suffering and change our immediate conditions and our circumstances. And if that's what you're waiting for, then you better get comfortable where you're at. So then how long are we to stay complacent? How long are we going to pretend? How long are we going to tolerate exploitation and deprivation, even if it doesn't directly affect you? I think people are worth way more than our society invests in them, whether they even realize it or not. I think you're fucking worth something. And that's why I have a fucking problem with capitalism's commodification of the human body and mind. We prioritize the capitalistic investment of a person rather than their essence and existence. In other words, people are deemed valuable only if they are valuable to capitalism. If you want to fight this fact, then we got to fight it tooth and nail, man, inch by inch, individually and collectively. Individually, it's personal. It's on you. But it's more than just reading and studying and staying informed. That's not fighting tooth and nail. And that's not what I'm talking about right now. I'm talking about, I'm not talking about reading a bunch of books 
or listening to podcasts or getting good grades or going out to vote and protest. That's all great shit, but that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm saying is that individually, we, we got to heal. We got to transform ourselves. We got to grow. I know that we need new minds and new hearts to combat what currently exists and what is currently tolerated. Because apathy is our enemy on an individual level. Selfishness is our enemy on an individual level. Fear is our enemy on the individual level. Narcissism, ignorance, egos, trauma, and pain even. All these things and so many more hold us back as individuals. And it creates walls and barriers which disallow us from connecting with others. So how can we build solidarity and empathy and courage when these personal and individual forces are in our way? Personally, I find this to be uh, the, the, the most difficult, I'll be honest. It's, it's very easy for me to read and to be curious and to do research. That's fun. That ain't no problem. The hard part is letting the old habits die so that I can grow as a person and allow myself to be of service and usage to others. This is what I mean when I say it's a fight. And it is a fight to challenge yourself or to, be, or to genuinely try and expand your perspective. It is a challenge to want to challenge your own beliefs and biases and opinions and feelings. It's a difficult thing to ask someone to open up to new ideas and voices and viewpoints. In addition to all that, you got to do everything you can to liberate yourself from any mental and emotional shackles that don't serve you or the people in your life. We have an opportunity every day to be better than we were the day before. Whether it's being more loving, more compassionate, empathetic, selfless, whatever, only you know what you need. But we can't be this and cultivate and create such an individual and eventually a society if we remain paralyzed by our, by, by our fear and our narcissism and our ignorance and everything else that gets in our own way. This is tough work, man. I'm not going into detail about it because it's different for everybody. That's a topic for another episode. But it's tough shit to ask this of anyone. Growth always comes with a little bit of suffering. My point is, though, that it is of the most exigent importance that we work every day as individuals to try and expand both our hearts and our minds. There is no other way. But that's all the individual shit. The collective shit is the unification and organization, especially of these conscious and aware and empathetic individuals. I didn't say educated or smart or strong. I said empathetic and aware, the people who care. People who are willing to sacrifice and suffer and strife with others. And to be blunt, I don't think anything of substance can get done without this fact. What's capitalism's number one rule? Shit ain't free. Even victory. But the ruling class is counting on our ignorance. They count on our apathy and our stereotypes and our complacency and so many other negative attributes that we walk around with, myself included. Nobody gets in the way more than I do. But all this prevents unification. Propaganda prevents unification. The two-party system prevents unification. Competition, aggressive individualism, ignorance, desperation, all these things prevent unification. How are we going to mobilize if we can't even get on the same page and see that we are allies? How are we to unite with others if individually we aren't even united? Unite yourself! There can be no division between thought and action, and there can be no division amongst the working class if they wish to assert themselves and deploy their energy into creating a world and a society that serves their interests and their livelihoods. This entire episode is inspired by the history of May Day, but more importantly, I'm inspired by the working people in this country who are risking a lot for the simple right to unionize and stand together against 
some of the wealthiest and most powerful and most influential corporations on the planet. This shit gets me going, man, seriously. Don't let anybody minimize what these workers are doing. These people aren't rich. They aren't academics. They don't own resources or hold any power by themselves. And yet, here they are. Building something and winning. They're just regular people, man. Look into the, into the recently formed Starbucks and Amazon unions and the people who fought to establish them. They're young people. Regular Joes. Shout out to Chris Smalls, by the way, the, the president of the Amazon Labor Union. What a badass. We need more organizers like this. Not podcasters. Organizers. But these guys are just regular people, man. Regular young people who got sick of shit and they came together to try and change their environment and their conditions. What could be more inspiring than this? And what is to stop us from following their example? It can be done. Let me me say it simply. The ruling class is not afraid of us. They own the political system. They own the economic system, the education system. They own the military. They own the police. They control the means of production and the means of violence. They own all this. They want to own your brain too, which is why class consciousness is not developed in any capacity in this country. And when it is, it's demonized. So this is on us to cultivate then. But despite everything, despite everything they own, all their money, all their power, all their bullshit, I guarantee you, nothing is making them more fearful than to see their workers coming together and unionizing. Resistance is not futile. It's small, yes, and it's isolated. I'm not trying to romanticize what's happening right now, but there is hope, especially if more people can take advantage of the current circumstances and the current opportunity. What would be more fearful to them than to see people of all different races and nationalities and ages and differences coming together for their own emancipation and well-being? Nothing would induce more fear into them than to see people reclaiming what is rightfully theirs and reclaiming their seat at the table of power. The working people produce much of the wealth in this country. We fund their wars and we fund their bank bailouts. We fund the police that they use to beat the shit out of people. We fund their military and imperialistic behavior. We fund their two-party system and their cold-ass politicians within it. We hold power within our working hands and we hold even more power when we hold them together. A reckoning of class consciousness has emerged, but it has only emerged out of the misery and the suffering of the working people in this country. So then let it come. All right, guys, that's going to be it for today. Thank you so much for listening and being here. I I really appreciate it. Uh, I'm going to share a bunch of resources in the description. I got a bunch of books and articles and songs to share. So I'm just going to dump them all in the description. And uh, I do hope that you guys take the time to read and look look into them if you want. One book that I highly recommend is called Labor's Untold Story by Richard O'Boyer. Check this one out. Uh, let me know what you think. Uh, it's a really, really good book. I, I, it's not going to be the only one that I share, but this one I highly recommend. I'll also be sharing a few uh, protest song recommendations just because just because it's May Day and I want you all to celebrate. I'll share. I'll just drop a, a whole bunch in there. You guys check them out. Um, but one banger that I really, really think that you should listen to is by Paolo Nutuni. Uh, I believe he's a Scottish singer. And the song is called Iron Sky. It's a fantastic song. It really helps to capture... The spirit of this episode and, and, and what the unionizers and, and organizers are, are trying to accomplish right now is truly beautiful. I do hope that you take the time to listen to it. All right, man, check all this shit out. Utilize your resources and uh, let me know what you think, man. That's all I got to say for today. So be cool, stay radical, celebrate. And until next time, 
Peace.